All right, we're going to be reading through Mark 14, 26 through 52. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me, for the, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you ever even knew me. No, Peter declared empathetically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by him. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. And Peter said, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they, could, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and the teachers of, the, of religious law and the elders. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the, man, one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked them, Am I some da dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man falling behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, good morning, Refuge family. Good to be able to uh, stand here and open up the good news, the Gospel of Mark together, explore it, think about it, ponder it, study it, 
hear it, think about applying it and putting it to practice in our lives. Uh, this, is, uh, this is quite a section of, of scripture in front of us here. There's a lot going on. Wondering, gets me wondering, as I was sitting over here, I got to thinking, you know, this is, this is not a really good day for Jesus. You ever have one of those days when it's just one thing after another after another, or a week when things are just piling on, or a month or a year, like 2020, when things are just piling up, and you feel like you're going to be crushed by it all? Uh, and so it got me thinking about a, a very uh, spiritual experience uh, as a young person, uh, hearing the story read, and apparently Disney's made a movie of it at some point. I didn't, wasn't aware of this until I was looking for it. Uh, but Alexander and the terrible, horrible, very bad, no good, no good, very bad day. Anybody remember that? That little story? I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. When I got up this out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be carsick. And nobody even answered me. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And at school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. And at singing time, she said I sang too loud. And at counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16 anyway? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and Albert Moyo was his next best friend and I was only third. I hope you all sit on attack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone and lands in Australia. There were two cupboards cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top and guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was. Because after school my mom took us to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. And the story goes on. 
ending up with, and after it all, the cat wants to sleep with Anthony and not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And my mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. Now, we can maybe appreciate what it's like uh, to be a kid. Maybe you're still a kid, so you can appreciate that, right? You know what it's like to be a kid. Maybe you used to be a kid. I guess that covers the rest of us, doesn't it? And you can appreciate that. But you see, what we have here in this section of Mark chapter 14 is Jesus' experience of three major categories of huge distress because what we see here is Jesus' experience of abandonment, Jesus' experience of anxiety, and Jesus' experience of being arrested. And that's a terrible, horrible, very bad, no good day. Abandonment, being left alone in your worst possible imaginable moment, anxiety, that feeling that is experienced deep inside that says, oh, this is not going to get any better. I'm not going to be okay. Things are going really badly here that feeling of being crushed by everything that's surrounding us and by our feelings inside that react to that. And then to top it all off, he's arrested and taken away to what we will come to in the next couple of weeks, his mockery of a trial, false accusations, the handing down of the death sentence and then the carrying out of that death sentence. Jesus' experience of abandonment, anxiety, and arrest. Uh, let, let me ask you this. If, if uh, you had a therapist, as some of us are, you came to Mike. I was going to pick one of the other therapists, and I thought, no, I better put myself under the bus here. Uh, you came to me, and I, you said, I'm experiencing all kinds of fear and anxiety and grief and loss. And I said, oh, I'd like to recommend a really good book. You're going to love this book. It's really going to help you. It's by an author who is the greatest academic and researcher in this field of loss and anxiety and depression. He's done all the work. He's looked at all the data. He's looked at all the studies. I think you're really going to benefit from this book. And then on the other hand, I said, uh, actually, there's this other book. It's very simply written. Um, there's even some typos in it. Uh, sometimes the pages are printed funny and the paragraphs that don't line up. The margins are crooked. Uh, but this book is written by a woman who has 
experienced great loss in her own life. She knows what it is to struggle and to suffer. She knows what it is to go through the worst of life events. She's really wrestled with the questions that come up. And you could, you could read that book instead. Let's pause for a moment. Which of the books would you rather read to find personal help? If you're going to seek to understand difficulty, are you going to look to the academic who's just got it all figured out on paper and research? Or if you really want the personal effect, if you really want the guidance, if you really want the companionship to sort out the challenging things of life, wouldn't you rather read or hear from the person who's actually lived it, who's actually been there and asked the questions? And that's exactly what we have here in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this. Now, we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest who has entered into heaven. And since we know that, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do. Yet he did not sin. And so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us that since we do, and whenever we do, face the difficulties and the challenges of life, we can come to Jesus, the one who has been there, Jesus, who has felt all that we felt, Jesus, who has entered into all kinds of trials and testings and temptations just like we do, who faced them without resorting to the sinful, hurtful responses that they can provoke in our lives. So let's take a brief look this morning really on the surface. This is going to be a week when, I hope with David, was this actually one of the weeks when you read it every day? You tried. Four, that's, that's excellent. Yeah, four days, good, good. Anybody get five, six, seven? Oh, no. <laughs> um, we're good, right? We're okay? Yeah, okay. You know, whether we've read it one time or all seven days or twice a day for seven days 
or you remember reading it long ago, or you heard somebody talking about it, or you didn't read it in Mark, but you remember it's also in Matthew or in Luke. It, whatever it is, this has been, this is going to be a passage where we study it, we're, gonna, we're hearing it together today, and then there's gonna be lots of room for us to go out and say, well, what, what am I gonna do? to apply this? How am I going to experience it in my own life to be in a, in a home group, to be in a Zoom group, uh, to be on the phone with other people that are here, uh, that are part of our, our refuge family uh, along with us, whoever it is, and saying, you know, how are we going to apply this? And then how are we going to put feet on it? and live it out in the community around us. So the first thing that's prevalent here in Jesus' experience of all this difficulty is abandonment. I, was, I, I, I started to notice this as I was working through uh, the passage in preparation for today. And, and, of course, if you're you know, a public speaker, you're always thinking, okay, how can I make uh, something memorable out of this? And I've got, I have three A's, abandonment, anxiety, and arrest. Oh, it's so cool. It all fit together. Nobody will ever forget uh, until they walk out the door or they turn off the video feed. Uh, and I'll forget, too, as someone came to me a week from now and says, what were the three points of your sermon? And I'll go, uh... I can't exactly remember. Remind me. Uh, but abandonment, I, I wasn't aware until I started reading it and rereading it and looking at some of the sources and reading it in the other Gospels. This theme of abandonment, it runs throughout this section of the Gospel of Mark, which is fascinating to me because Mark has been all about action, all about Jesus' action, all about Jesus' reliance on his Father, the Holy Spirit leading Jesus. The prevalent word throughout Mark is immediately they did this, and then immediately they did that, and there's all this going on, very active, very moving. And then we come into this section, and the action and the movement is all toward this idea of abandonment, of rejection of Jesus being left on his own. And so just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen, right, before the Lord's Supper begins, before Jesus' great time of, of serving the meal and eating the meal with his followers, with his interns, with his trainees, He's, that section leads off with Mark reminding us that Jesus said, hey, you know, one of you here at this table is going to betray me. Abandonment and betrayal comes up, and then we have the meal together. And then as they leave the meal, Jesus says, oh, by the way, I'm letting you know again, all of you will abandon me. And just in case you think I don't mean all of you, I'm going to point you out, Peter, the kind of big mouth spokesperson looked at. He did have a big mouth, didn't he? 
he has sometimes had trouble waiting before he spoke. You know, so somebody should have taught him, count to ten and then say it. Uh, but just in case you think I don't mean all of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Peter as the example. Even you, Peter, are going to go through this. He tells them this on the way to the garden. And then we have the story of Jesus in the garden and the prayer. And then as that phase of the story wraps up, Jesus says, Okay, it's time. My betrayer is coming. Betrayal and abandonment. And then we have the story of the arrest, all the events that took place there. And the story ends with everybody running away and abandoning him. The entire flow of the narrative here keeps coming back to abandonment. 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 Jesus, you are going to be alone and isolated. And he knows this. And he brings it up. He says it's even, it was written by the prophets, and he pulls out one prophecy as an example from the ancient prophet Zechariah. And he says, according to the scriptures, all of you will desert me. And in case we don't get it, Mark uh, even resorts to what's almost humorous at the end of this story in verses 50 to 52, right? After the arrest, the, the mob in the garden, they run away. And, and if that's not enough, one guy who's kind of following along in the background, uh, some, some Bible... Scholars think that maybe it's even Mark himself. Young guy following in the background could probably have gotten away with it all, you know, just hiding off in the shadows. They grab hold of him, and he's so desperate to run away, he slips out of his linen robe and runs away naked. He's that He's that desperate to get away. And yet, in all of this, all of the abandonment, we can't miss that in the background, in the shadows, is God's strong hand of love guiding this situation. Jesus several times says the scriptures have to be fulfilled. The things that God had his servants write, the promises, the direction, what I've said about this has to be fulfilled. God's strong hand of love is operating in the shadows. In in the story (coughs) where Jesus is reminding Peter right? When, when Jesus is saying to Peter, uh, God will strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered, I'll go into Galilee, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. In Luke chapter 22, 
as Luke records this story, he adds a detail that's important to us. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, understand, which Peter, of course, doesn't understand in advance, but Jesus is telling him so that afterwards he'll remember it and get back to it. Jesus says, Peter, Satan, the enemy, the destroyer, the tempter, the one who's trying to steal and to kill and destroy, Satan has lodged a formal request so that he can sift you like wheat, you know. Take those grains, dry them, shake them, let the good wheat fall through, let the chaff blow away. Satan has filed or lodged a formal request from God. Notice who's in charge here then. If Satan has to file a request, who's in charge? God is. Satan has filed to sift you like wheat. And then Jesus says an amazing thing. Afterward, when you have turned back to me. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say, I'm counting on you, Peter. This is all up to you. This all hinges on you. He says, Peter, I can tell you now when you have turned back. Then I'm going to use you to strengthen these other men around you. God's strong hand of love operating in the shadows. We see it here in chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus says, look, all this is happening. Here's this abandonment. I'm going to be alone. But I'll tell you what, all of you, all of you who are going to run away to the point of you'll leave your clothes behind, you're so desperate to run away, you'll slip out of your coat and run away unclothed. All of you who are doing that, after I'm raised up, I will go ahead of you and I will meet you in Galilee. Okay? This is not just empty optimism on Jesus' part. This is not just Jesus taking the, the higher road or Jesus utilizing positive psychology. Jesus is saying, my Father, my God and your God has his hand of love on this. He is supervising all of this. And although it is disastrous, and I'm going to be left entirely alone, it is really Jesus emphasizing what Paul will later write at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. When Paul can write to the people of God and say, even, even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. Let that sink in for a minute. Mike? John, I run out of time if I name each and every one of us. Even if you are unfaithful, God remains faithful because he cannot deny his own. 
and take hold of this, the basis of that reality and promise is this, that in a moment of time, the most significant moment of Jesus' experience of abandonment and death is when he hung on the cross. We'll come to this in chapter 15. And Jesus experienced the ultimate abandonment. And he cried out in the Aramaic language, which would have been the language most personal to the Jewish heart, the, the language of, of conversation and exchange with family members, with close friends. Uh, they would have spoken Hebrew in the religious context. They would have spoken Greek in the, in the context of the greater community. But in the language of his heart, the language of the household, Jesus hangs on that cross and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? We can be assured that even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. He cannot deny his own because in that moment, God the Father turned his face away from Jesus for you, for me. And Jesus said, I'm abandoned. I'm all alone. Now let me ask you, based on, on this part of the story, with, oh, it's nicer over here, the lights aren't shining in my eyes not to key in on you people on this side of the room, but uh, in that moment, in this story, as we read it, as we ponder it, study it, hear it together, what part do the disciples contribute to the work of Jesus? Nothing. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to your cross I cling. I bring nothing except running away. And Jesus, in that abandonment, is singled out. The spotlight, the focus is upon Jesus. And he is the one who makes it all happen. Now, unless you think that Jesus, so we don't begin thinking, oh, this was easy for Jesus. He was Jesus, you know. <laughs> uh, what could I, I'm, I'm just a person. I'm not perfect. This is Jesus. He's the Son of God. He is God himself. He's come in human flesh to live among us. 
you know, he had this all laid out. He knew what was going to happen in the end. He could go through this. Don't ask me to go through terrible, horrible, very bad, no good days uh, like Jesus did. I'm not Jesus. And I think that's the reason that the gospel writers give us this aspect of the story. Starting in verse 32, they went into the olive grove and Jesus said, this is to all the disciples. He says, sit here while I go and pray. And then he goes a little further in. He takes Peter and James and John with him, the closest, the inner circle, the people closest to him. And he told them, uh, in verse 33, he took Peter, James, and John with him. He became deeply troubled and distressed, start to hear what this feels like for Jesus. He told them, my soul is crushed with, with grief, with anguish, with anxiety, with depression. My soul is crushed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You see, this is Jesus, Luke 22. Again, Luke adds the detail. Jesus, as he goes into that garden, is so distressed that his sweat is like blood. Uh, I don't fully grasp what that means. I've read all kinds of descriptions of what it means. Uh, you know, it was just regular sweat. It dropped and dropped, dropped, dropped to the ground like as if it were drops of blood. So it's a metaphor whether he was so distressed that his body was so distressed along with his soul that blood actually leaked out through his pores. We don't know what it means, but can we agree on this? If, if you're sweating blood, it's not probably a good situation. You're not at your best. Could we at least agree on that if we can't explain the whole process? You know, if you're sweating blood, you're, you're pretty far gone. Um, I, I and, and others who work with counseling or others of us who sit beside people in great difficulty are familiar with words like this. My soul, my psyche, my inside, inside where I live, the real me is crushed, overwhelmed, flooded so much that I could just die. That's what's going on with Jesus here. And so Jesus, as most people would, asks for them to be with him. He, he says, come on into the garden. And, and the larger group of people, he says to all of them, uh, the, the larger group of the disciples, all of them, sit here, I'm going to go pray. To the closest three, he says, keep a vigil with me. 
you, th- you know what a vigil is, right? I mean, you have at, at least an intuitive sense. People sit up all night, you know, with candles, remembering someone who's lost. Uh, maybe a vigil can have, in certain church traditions, a vigil can be a, a night long or an extended time when people would normally be asleep praying. But he says to the disciples, keep a vigil with me here. Uh, It is probably important for us to say he's not saying watch out for the bad guys. We're going to see that he's on top of that. He knows exactly. But, But he's saying watch with me, be with me in this. And what do they do? Um, Well, they can't stay awake. Back to that abandonment theme. They can't even pray with the guy. I can remember times when we were so distressed with our son's mental illness and and just needing to pray and even looking at friends in our living room and saying, "This, this mental illness is consuming our son and consuming our family. We can't even pray anymore. The words have just failed us. Will you pray on our behalf? Will you pray for us? Will you pray with us? Luke says that the more anguished Jesus got, the more earnestly he prayed. It takes me and reminds me of the words of Psalm 56 in the first three verses when God's poet says... In, in the beautiful poetry of Psalm 56, he says this, When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. When I'm anxious, when I'm afraid, when I'm overwhelmed, when I am flooded, I will trust in you. Okay. Uh, you can read your scriptures cover to cover, And you will find nowhere where it says you will not experience difficulty. In fact, quite the opposite. You'll find much more that says you will experience challenges. But what Jesus shows to us here, what Jesus lives for us here, is when I am afraid, when it happens, I will trust in you. Jesus says to them, in fact, uh, when he comes back, (laughs) can you imagine? He's in deep anguish. He already is like, this is so bad, I could just die. Watch and pray with me. Stay awake. Keep a vigil. He goes off. He prays. It's apparently quite some time as he wrestles in his own prayer, he comes back and the guys are sleeping. And, And don't I don't think we're meant to get the idea that he comes back and he chews them out. Hey, jerks. What's wrong with you guys? I told you. Can't, can't you, you know, he, I think his, you got his hands on his head and like, oh, guys, I so needed you to keep vigil with me and watch and pray. And just, oh. He says to them, Watch, keep vigil, stay awake, and pray. 
and then an important phrase. He, he doesn't say, pray that you will not enter into trial, testing, temptation. He doesn't pray, he doesn't tell them to pray, ask God, pray, so you will not experience the testing and trial and temptation. He chooses his words carefully and he says, stay awake, pray, so that you don't enter into the trial, the testing, the temptation. Now, there's a nuance there, but it's important, right? You're going to enter into, like Jesus, the challenge, the trial, the testing, the temptation, but you stay awake and you pray so that you're not consumed by that, so that if it's temptation, you don't give in to the temptation and act on it. So if it's testing, you don't feel, fail the test. If it's a trial that you come out on the other side. And listen how Jesus prays in, in verse 36. Abba, Father, he cried out. <clears throat> this is not a pristine, pre-written, grammatically structured prayer that Jesus is praying here. He's not worrying about getting all his words right. He's talking to his Father in close and intimate relationship. And he says, Dad, Father... He cries out. Take this. Take this. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. And then the profound words, but not my will. I want your will to be done, not mine. Uh, I won't make you raise your hand, but other addicts, alcoholics, people of that sort, like myself in the room, um, if going through the AA program, first couple of steps, and you come to step three, and it's this, and this sticks with me as underlining Jesus' prayer here. We made a conscious decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. In that moment of deepest distress to make a conscious decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. It's a little bit better solution than I'm going to Australia. Joan's sister lives in Melbourne, so we, we love Australia. But, you know, as Alexander's mom told him, there's troubles in Australia. How much better if we're going to run? And by the way, you are going to run, right? What's the nature of fear? Fight, flight. You're going to fight, you're going to run. 
disciples tried the fight in the arrest phase. (laughs) She said, no, that's not the way. You better run. But don't run away from Jesus. Run toward him. If you're going to run, at least decide where you're going to run to. Are you going to run to your Australia? Or are you going to make that conscious decision to submit your will and your life to God? Well, we won't linger over the arrest. This will be good uh, segue into next week as we explore the trials that Jesus went through, the mockery of the trumped-up charges, But just as you read of Jesus' arrest in verses, uh, at the end of verse 41 through the end of verse 49, uh, just notice a couple of things. Primarily this, how Jesus continues to speak with a gentle strength. Even at his worst moment, he goes to his favorite strategy as they come out to get him with swords and spears and clubs. As the mob comes to take him in, Jesus goes back to his strategy of asking a question that forces them to examine themselves more deeply. And the questions, I think, boil down to this. What is your motivation here? He poses it as, you could have taken me in the temple. Now you're coming out at night like I'm some criminal, some robber, to take me captive. But between the lines is Jesus' question, what is your motivation here? And so I leave us with that question for ourselves. As I take in, read, understand these words of the good news of the gospel, what is my motivation? What will I do with it? How will I put it into action? Am I going to grab my sword and lop off somebody's ear? Am I going to run away naked? Am I going to run toward Jesus? Father, as we take this, these words of yours into our hearts, and as we come back together to use our voices to sing our prayers to you, to sing of our companionship with you, a high priest, high above us, and yet down here going through everything that we have and will go through for us. As we think of your sacrifice, as we eat the meal that you have prepared for us, May our thoughts be on you. We have heard the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.